As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Listening to Ministry X on the Fringe Radio Network. Doing a little sound check here before we get started. Stand by for transmission.
1991, he'd been approached by two members of a secret project within the Department of Defense that were looking at the whole UFO subject and actually trying to contact the entities that most people in ufology would call the greys, these sort of little diminutive dwarf-like creatures with the big heads and the big black eyes. Mm -hmm. And the idea of this project was to try and liaise with these beings, if you like, and understand their mind powers and see if the military could harness or could learn the, the sort of same mind powers they possess and, and harness them as a weapon. In other words, try and teach spies, if you're human spies, human beings, to use the mind as a, as a weapon to induce like heart attacks and strokes at a distance. In other words, like psychic assassinations. Take one. Five fifty five.
Welcome to the show. This is Ministry X. I am your host, Daniel X, on the Fringe Radio Network. Go to fringeradionetwork.com and listen. Also, download the Spreaker podcast app for your mobile device. Support the show by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen. I do appreciate it. Also, send the show link out to your family and friends. You know, if you like being more alienated. Alienated. Oh, I made a joke. But are you the only person in your circle out here on the fringe? Is there somebody you know... Somebody who's maybe lost in the church system, someone in a crisis of faith, someone who's bonkers for ancient aliens or Expedition Bigfoot, Uh, Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, that's interesting, or Ancient Apocalypse, we're going to talk a little bit about that whole controversy today, Graham Hancock making people lose their minds. So maybe they'd be interested in joining the Fringe family. So many great shows on the network, and we're constantly developing new content and bringing you transmissions from the far reaches of the galaxy. FringeRadioNetwork.com, MinistryXPodcast.com, boom. Or if you've got a testimony you'd like to share, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you've been thinking about starting a podcast of your own, we can help you get started. Send an email out to Johnny McMahon, FringeRadioNetwork at gmail.com. Or you can email me, ministryx at protonmail.com. Therefore, join forthwith the spirit force. So we're going to talk about the Collins elite today. This schism within the Department of Defense, uh, the alien military industrial complex... We're going to get into some of Nick Redfern's research, his book, Ray Boucher. And, you know, does this schism still exist within the government, within the Pentagon, within the Defense Department, primarily? Uh, And I suspect NASA. I mean, it's hard to imagine that everyone in the Defense Department, in the military, the military elite, and these Defense Department contractors, that they're all unified about the nature of this contact with alien intelligences, is this jousting of opinions still going on within the halls of the Department of Defense? Or 
are they pretty much unified in their belief that the alien brothers, the galactic federation, um, is here to save humanity and there's going to be this exchange of technology. But what do these alien intelligences get in return from the human race? Is that, you know, what's being circulated in these internal memos? So it's like, what's the 33rd degree? What's the secret hidden knowledge? Well, the 33rd degree is that it all goes back to aliens. But see, beyond the 33rd degree, it's that the aliens aren't really the aliens. It's kind of more like Lucifer. And I haven't been a Freemason, but I've done a lot of research on the Freemasons and the Scottish Rite. I mean, I'm just beginning to think it's all a PSYOP. Either it's intentional or it's subconscious. Well, it's both. Some is intentional. Some is just people acting on their own subconscious programming. I mean, it's certainly a mind war. And here's the important thing. Think about how many times a day there's a screen in front of your face feeding you someone else's viewpoint or someone else's wild fantasy or just documenting some harrowing reality, some perceived injustice, or just, you know, makeup tips. <laughs> or it can be someone's voice in your earbuds right, right now. now. <laughs> or music. And the frequencies and intonations massaging your brain lobes. I mean, <laughs> you don't need to have a receiver in your head. Why do we need voice-to-skull technology? Just get them in front of a screen. I guess when there isn't a screen nearby, or there isn't a lot of time, voice-to-skull... We probably all spend way too much time in the mind war and not enough time in the spirit war, myself included. I mean, I think of how many shows and movies are on my watch list that I'll never get to, how many books are on my shelf that I've yet to read, how many podcasts I've downloaded on my iPod. I mean, I joke with my wife because, you know, iTunes will tell you, like, what's the total running time of your podcast or your music. And I'm like, I have 2.4 days worth of podcasts to listen to at once, something like 60 hours. <laughs> 
Now contrast that with how much time we spend flipping through the Bible or just spending some time out in the woods, just being silent and listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to change modes, but it's essential because you're not only engaging your mind, you're engaging your spirit. Man is spirit, soul, and body. Not only is God a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're a trinity. Human beings are a trinity. Which makes sense because we are the imagers of God. We are made in God's image. But sometimes we get stuck in that two-dimensional screen, that matrix, And when we're there, we worry about things like who said what on Twitter or, you know, how many woke messages we can pick apart in the Marvel Universe. And God has galaxies and nebulas and quasars and inside microscopic cells, and all these mysteries to show you. I mean, some people have it in their head, and some Christians have it in their head, that science and faith, science and religion, uh, can exist in the same universe. Like, you have to go with one or the other. But that's not the way God sees it. No, God programmed us with that hunger for knowledge. He delights when we inquire of him and examine his creation. But God fears what we are capable of doing with that knowledge because There's the problem of sin. And certain members of the elder race, no doubt, also fear what we're capable of. And then there's this problem of sin. So man will gain knowledge, will develop technology not to help his neighbor, but to gain an advantage. The wealthy, the elite, and many governments of the world have hidden knowledge. And they hoard technology by co-opting the geniuses, the innovators, the thinkers the influencers, the attention-getters among the people who might actually create something that benefits humanity because they're following their God-given conscience. Who wants goodwill hunting to come work for them? The NSA. Why do you think these secret societies started cropping up in these Ivy League schools? Harvard, Yale, 
even MIT had a secret Osiris society for a time. The most brilliant people in the world throughout history are not people who buried their noses in books. They spent quiet time with the Lord. Sir Isaac Newton was sitting under a tree when he observed an apple fall. And it's not that we're a threat to God Almighty through any advance of knowledge or technology, but we're a threat to ourselves. Why are the UFOs so interested in our missile silos? God has to resolve the problem of sin before there can be any spiritual refinement for the human race. That's where Jesus comes in. Okay. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That's First Peter chapter 3 verse 18 through 22. I like that. But I notice more and more the biblical Christian worldview is coming under attack. I came across a documentary on Netflix called Creating Christ, which is based on a book from a few years ago. And it basically proposes that much of the New Testament was written by a secret group of Roman emperors. You know, working with Paul as part of some conspiracy to subdue this growing sect of zealot Jews and rope them into... Roman society. So the authors propose, and they're both in this documentary, uh, but they stumble in their attempt to defend the idea that the Gospels and the Book of Acts were created as some Roman propaganda, and Paul was secretly working with this cabal of Roman elites. And what's funny is, even the most devoted textual critics, even atheists, 
have to admit there's much more evidence, written evidence, of historical Jesus than many other historical figures that scholars generally accept as having existed. Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Confucius, Homer, Julius Caesar. There's less documented history about their existence than Jesus. So, of course, I had to watch this with my little voice recorder and a notebook. And it's just embarrassing. I mean, I can't imagine it being taken seriously. Again, what I'm trying to say, and I mean, the standard of excellence isn't really high for Netflix. But here again, we have a couple authors, armchair historians, with no background in biblical languages or Near East religion or the Old Testament, or even biblical criticism, for that matter. I mean, this one guy is a sci-fi author. The other guy is, like, a lawyer. He's got a degree in philosophy. But they're appealing to this conspiracy-minded sensationalism. I mean, in a time when we really need discernment, we get these edgelords. We get Da Vinci Code, Bible Code, and creating Christ. Solid, grounded, reasonable, boring scholarship, painstaking research doesn't get as much attention, it seems. And this is supposedly based on 30 years of research. Uh, seems like a stretch. And how much of that is actually reading the Bible? Uh, because the Bible itself, the New Testament itself, take any book out of the New Testament. It contradicts their whole thesis. And I'm going to come back around to that because there's another controversial documentary series on Netflix uh, that's rather compelling. Uh, Although it takes the traditional young earth biblical view and smashes it. But at the same time, it takes the traditional historical view of human civilization and smashes that too. It's smashing. But I'm not a young earth guy. I'm an old earth guy. So I don't got a dog in that hunt. I'm I'm watching this now. Ancient Apocalypse is what it's called. Uh, Graham Hancock. And I don't necessarily agree with every point, but I'm all for free speech. The public forum, the court of public opinion, the town hall of Twitter and the local pubs and taverns of retribution. Here we are in the 21st century, and you know, oh, here's something controversial about Jesus. We haven't been trying to stamp out heresy for 2,000 years already. 
I mean, is there a spirit of truth, of truth-seeking in what you're doing as a researcher, as a scientist, or are you more interested in making a name for yourself? I think that's the difference between, you know, hey, I think you've got an interesting hypothesis, but I think you're wrong about this point, or I think you're a hack who's credentials are suspect you know trying to cash in on netflix trends i mean the number one movie on netflix right now is troll (laughs) yeah not the good one not the funny one from the 80s what does that tell you but despite all this I've gotten tremendous positive feedback from non-Christians or Christian curious individuals. You know, when it comes to the Genesis 6 account or the book of Enoch, that interests people. That gets their attention. They're like, wait, what? Even in the case of my Muslim brother-in-law, if you know how to talk to people, And I've never once diluted the message of the gospel or the importance of Jesus. I've had people disagree with me. But what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. I uh, reached out to Johnny McMahon. Johnny McMahon of the Fringe Radio Network about this whole ancient apocalypse controversy. And I have an article I'm going to read momentarily um, about the show. I've been watching it. Johnny's been watching it. And uh, he wanted to offer his comments. Johnny, what's the deal with uh, ancient apocalypse? Why are people losing their minds over this show? It's a big deal because it pushes civilization back, the origins. It pushes it back from 6,000 years ago to, you know, 12,500 years ago. Um, Existing before that, you know, victims of the Great Cataclysm, which was, you know, probably a comet fragment or a small comet um, or an asteroid but probably a comet because of the iridium layer. Um, That's the controversy also. They don't want it to be extraterrestrial. For some reason, classical science didn't mention that. That wasn't one of their possibilities. You know, because it's traditional, it's old, and they didn't think about getting hit by comet fragments and stuff. But because of the iridium layer, which is extraterrestrial. Mo- well, Earth is not devoid of iridium, but it's extremely rare, and it's not found in layers. And so the iridium layer, which is you know probably deposited about 13,000 years ago, something like that, um, uh, is kind of telling that it's you know, like a comet fragment. Anyway, um, 
that's that's the controversy and civilization mostly because you know those guys are pushing it back Graham Hancock and those guys are pushing it back 12,500 years um, 13,000 years ago um, so you know it would be 10,450 BC which is about when the pyramids were built, I believe, because that's when they lined up with Orion. <clears throat> the pyramids lined up with Orion in 10450 BC. So that's, you know, 12,457 years ago. <clears throat> so I think they were built then. I think they were built to show this is when they were built. Look, they line up with Orion was the age of Leo. Incidentally, the Sphinx head was pointing straight at Leo when the pyramids lined up with Orion's belt in um, 1040, 1450 BC. So um, I think it's all tied together. And it, that's, it hit right after that. And I think the Great Flood, as we could talk about the Great Flood and you know the Catholics and others have dated it back you know not nearly as far you know more like I don't know how many years ago 5,000 years ago at the most well this is like you know 12,000 years ago so anyway that I'm done now but yeah I mean you could look into that stuff and talk about it is what I was thinking Oh, also, um, Romania, that's a big deal, um, because they're finding stuff, you know, I, I heard this lecture on a Romanian, um, ancient civilization, and, I mean, they're finding stuff in Romania, like pyramids, I mean, gigantic pyramids, bigger than the Great Pyramid, and, like, all kinds of really old stuff, really dating back, like, 10,000, 11,000 years, right? So, I mean, it could could have been happening there. I don't know what kind of people they were, if they were all vampires or whatever, but... <laughs> you could talk about that, too. If you looked into that, that's trippy. And that's really yeah. recent. They found this stuff just within the last few years. And there's one guy that does a... He's, got, he's kind of a specialist in that area. And I heard a couple of interviews with that guy. And uh, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Netflix, I mean, at least they've been supportive of programming that's provocative. They didn't remove Cuties. They didn't remove the Dave Chappelle special. And I just like that system better. Air something controversial, something that might stretch your brain a little, and allow people to discuss and debate. Yeah, let's use that model. And if people don't want that, they don't have to subscribe to Netflix. They don't have to join Twitter. <laughs> and I hate talking about Twitter, but another great example of this, former kickboxing champ, 
Andrew Tate, and he was on Big Brother. Uh, he was banned off Twitter years ago for so-called hate speech. I mean, he's basically known for his inflammatory, misogynistic comments. Elon Musk restores his account, and then he promptly tweets at Greta Thunberg, basically bragging about all his high-performance cars and their enormous emissions, to which Greta responds... Send me an email at smalldickenergy at getalife.com. <laughs> and I got to say, I'm not a fan of Greta Thunberg, but I don't think I've ever seen someone get owned so hard on Twitter. <laughs> By a 19-year-old girl, no less. And then, to top it off, Tate and his brother are arrested in Romania on human trafficking charges shortly thereafter. And uh, many of those luxury performance cars uh, were seized by the police. I mean, my point is, this is how disputes should be handled. This is how toxic masculinity should be dealt with. You know, don't ban people off the internet. You give them more rope to hang themselves with. And this guy and his brother were allegedly trafficking women and forcing them into pornography. And he's supposedly, you know, this role model for young guys. I mean, my stepsons have seen his videos. And, you know, this perversion of masculinity is treating women like property, driving fast cars, kicking people's asses when they disrespect you, and apparently running a human trafficking ring. You know, it's like, let me guess, porn is perfectly healthy. And uh, he got clowned so hard, I'm about ready to support a carbon credit system. (laughs) It just seems way more healthy even if the ultimate motive is money, it's more healthy than the cancel culture model. I think the entertainment industry realizes it can't be profitable if shows never get produced that could potentially offend somebody or some group. And this is America. It's a free world. It's a free market, supposedly. And we're all equally exploitable. Christians, blacks, Latinos, women, children, gays, trans, conspiracy theorists. And in the case of Ancient Apocalypse... Uh, even fringe thinkers like Graham Hancock. I think they're just mad because he keeps popping up on the Joe Rogan podcast. And uh, he's been on Duncan Trussell's podcast. Uh, He's been on Cosmographia, Uncharted X. 
I'm going to read this short article from The Guardian and see if you can catch the attitude here. See, now a lot of yous are out there examining the alternative media sources of information. But often I find you can learn a lot about your enemies uh, by picking through their trash, and that's the mainstream media, papers like The Guardian. But I'm going to be nice to Stuart Heritage here, uh, the writer, with his headline, Ancient Apocalypse is the Most Dangerous Show on Netflix. (laughs) A show with a truly preposterous theory is one of the streaming giant's biggest hits, and it seems to exist solely for conspiracy theorists. Why has this been allowed? (laughs) Question mark. Allowed by who? By Netflix? Wait, there's some sort of gatekeeper, you mean? We have to consult with? Oh, absolutely. And the Defense Department. At the time of writing, Ancient Apocalypse has been comfortably sitting in Netflix's top ten list for several days. This presents something of a mystery because... The show closely resembles the sort of half-baked filler documentary that one of the lesser Discovery channels would slap up at 3 a.m. between shows about plane crashes and fascist architecture. Ancient Apocalypse obviously has an audience, but who on earth is it? Fortunately, you don't have to watch for long to find out. In quick succession, during the pre-show sizzle reel, we are treated to a clip of the show's host, Graham Hancock, being interviewed by Joe Rogan. Finally, we have an answer. Ancient Apocalypse must be a TV program made exclusively for people who like to shout at you on Twitter. Uh, He's so offended. Of course it is. These people are Hancock's bread and butter. The, quote, free thinkers, unquote, who, through some bizarre quirk of nature, are often more parentally outraged than anyone else on Earth. Huh, that's interesting. Who's outraged? They're drawn to ancient apocalypse thanks in part to Hancock's loud and persistent claims that his life's work is being suppressed by big archaeology. Yeah, like scientists and researchers never had to go up against the establishment, the established understanding of things, right? That's not a thing in science. That's not a thing in history. Oh, never mind. Hancock's not a scientist. He's a journalist. Like this guy who's writing this article. The thrust 
of Ancient Apocalypse is as follows. Hancock believes that an advanced Ice Age civilization responsible for teaching humanity concepts such as maths, architecture, and agriculture was wiped out in a giant flood brought about by multiple comet strikes about 12,000 years ago. There are signs everywhere you look, he says. To prove this, he spends an entire television series looking everywhere. Hancock travels to Malta, to Mexico, to Indonesia, and to the U.S., purely so he can look at remnants of old structures and insist that they prove his theory. Which isn't to say that is all he does, of course, because a great deal of every episode is spent railing at the buttoned-up archaeological institutions that fail to listen to him because, according to them, the whole theory doesn't stand up to any scrutiny whatsoever. The result, sadly... Given it's about an intelligent life form being exploded off the planet in a hail of comet fire, is preposterously boring. Hancock goes to a place and says, quote, They want you to think it's this, but it's actually that. Unquote. Over and over again. I once got trapped at a party with a flat earther. It was a very similar experience to watching this. See, they always got to rope in the flat earth thing. Is there anybody out there that still thinks Flat Earth is not a PSYOP? I'm curious. Continuing, which isn't to say we should dismiss Hancock's theory out of hand, of course, because if he's right, and the history of humanity really is just the first five minutes of Prometheus... It would change everything we know about ourselves. But we certainly shouldn't treat his hodgepodge of mysteries and coincidences as fact. That's the danger of a show like this. It whispers to the conspiracy theorist in all of us. And Hancock is such a compelling host that he's bound to create a few more in his wake. Believing that ultra-intelligent creatures... Helped to build the pyramids is one thing. But where does it end? Question mark. Believing that election fraud is real? Believing 9-11 was an inside job? Worse? If you were feeling particularly mean-spirited, you could suggest that Netflix knows this and has gone out of its way to court the conspiracy theorists. But hey, not all conspiracy theories are bad. If you don't like Hancock's story about the super-intelligent advanced civilization being wiped off the face of the planet, here's another that might explain how Netflix gave the green light to Ancient Apocalypse. The platform's senior manager of Unscripted Originals happens to be Hancock's son. Honestly, what are the chances? Question mark. And I guess that's true. I didn't know that. Uh, But Netflix gives the green light to pretty much anything, right? And then if it's not doing well after a season or two, they drop it really fast. (laughs) 
So what's the deal with this guy? This is the most dangerous show on Netflix. Maybe dangerous to people who don't like to use their brains. That's the problem with these woke, progressive, oh my God, hipster losers that write these articles. This is The Guardian. This is a major mainstream publication. And it's The Guardian. It's The New York Times. Uh, They're always asking you for money and donations when you go to read their articles. I mean, these guys are so shocked at what's actually popular. What's actually popular. It just can't be. People don't want to read our newspaper. People don't want to go to our website and read our articles. Just Daniel X. Basically just to make fun of us. (laughs) And just show everybody how obvious their narratives are. How obvious the controlled media is with their propaganda. All right, well, this is not what this show is about. I mean, Ancient Apocalypse, I just started talking about that. What I really want to talk about is the Collins Elite. Yeah, so go watch Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix. Like, the best-selling book on Amazon is Alex Jones's Great Reset. The most popular podcast is Joe Rogan. (laughs) Moving on. Now, here's a story you may have heard in some form or fashion without actually knowing its origins Um, and it's been going around for 10 years or so now and it intersects with other theories dare I say conspiracy theories this isn't even a conspiracy podcast Uh, But it gets into, kind of mingles with Project Bluebeam, Project Stargate, uh, Jack Parsons and uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, NASA, and a little Aleister Crowley, Black Magic. And uh, I'm talking about the Collins Elite. I'm talking about uh, Ray Boucher, uh, Boucher, Ray Boucher, UFO investigator and Anglican priest. I'm talking about a book by Nick Redfern called Final Events, which came out a while back, maybe 2010, 11, something like that. So it's 1991. And you have this Anglican priest, Ray Boucher, who also happens to be a UFO researcher in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
He was approached by a couple of individuals who claimed to work for the Department of Defense as part of what's come to be known as the Secret Space Program. And then years later, Boucher got in contact with Nick Redfern, who wrote the book Final Events, which explores this idea of the Collins elite. And Redfern also reaches out and meets with some of these individuals who basically confirm the contact with Boucher. Now, I suspect Boucher was contacted due to his dual role in society as both a UFO researcher and a priest. And these individuals were working within the Department of Defense as Christian men. And due to the nature of what they were studying and what they observed, it became concerned that they were not dealing with extraterrestrial beings. I mean, imagine that. They're concerned that it's not aliens. But they came to believe that these were spiritual entities. Specifically, we're talking about demons and fallen angels. Now, Boucher, a priest, astutely questioned whether he was chosen by this group, uh, whether he was being used as a vehicle for disinformation. And this is something that Redfern also questioned, like, you know, why me? And if you've done research in this field, UFOs, aliens, black projects, you'll eventually run into various disinformation campaigns that have been planted out there to obscure the truth. I mean, the first subject I tackled with this podcast was the UMO hoax letters. And people still believe this represents legitimate contact with an alien species. Uh, But in reality, a great many famous UFO incidents, including alien abductions, contactee accounts, etc., are bogus stories that have been disseminated to cause confusion, fear, etc. I mean, let's talk about the Me Labs. Incidents where the military has staged alien abductions or the MIBs sent to harass witnesses or lead them to false conclusions about what they saw. Anyways, Boucher and Redfern had the right instinct to suspect that there was a possibility they were being used as vehicles for disinformation much like the QAnon PSYOP, okay? This idea that there was a secret group of people inside the government who were very close to President Trump, who were secretly working to drain the swamp and had these sealed indictments, and it was just a matter of time before Hillary was arrested and the pedophile networks were being taken down, okay? So was this idea of the Collins elite a group of insiders 
in the Defense Department who were a voice for Christians and argued that the alien phenomenon, the alien intelligences our military was working with, in fact, were demons, you know, that they had support and funding uh, to be a voice of opposition within these clandestine agencies. Was this just another way to disarm those who might object to the military experimenting with psychic phenomenon and remote viewing and psychological warfare or who were negotiating with these alien intelligences to obtain advanced off-world technologies. You know, is that the same thing? You know, if we came to believe there was a powerful group in the military working to represent a Christian worldview and dissuade this sort of collaboration on the basis of it being demonic in nature, dangerous, in fact, then we, you know, the fringe Christians, the L.A. Marzulis and Tom Horns and Tim Alberinos of the world, could rest a little easier and back off the trail. But you see, people like L.A. Marzulli got a little too close to the truth. He was threatened because he was finding alien implants and documenting them. His home in Los Angeles was burned to the ground. Tom Horn's home was burned to the ground. So in the same way that the Q drops were constantly urging followers to trust the plan... Well, then you go into passive mode. You stop investigating the human trafficking and reporting on it because you believe there's already someone on the case who has the ear of the President of the United States. Same thing with UFO investigations. We get so-called whistleblowers who are out there freely talking about disclosure. They're not being threatened. They're not having their homes burned down and their documents and research stolen. They've got multiple documentaries. Uh, They're all over Fox News. And their message is, this technology is from other planets. The technology is alien. These guys are not Christian. Stephen Greer is not a Christian. Louis Elizondo is not a Christian. Robert Bigelow is not a Christian. Peter Lavenda is not a Christian. Christopher Mellon is not a Christian. All these guys are agnostic, atheists, or have a new age or occult background. But they all want us to believe we're dealing with various alien species from outer space. So as fringe Christians who are interested in all this weird stuff, who's out there representing us in this disclosure debate? You know, saying, hey... Obtaining advanced technology from off-world entities. Conducting hybridization programs, genetic experimentation, sounds awfully similar to what occurred in the days of Noah. Well, we'd like to think that there are voices of reason within the Pentagon or the White House, but maybe this is all we get. Fringe podcasts, you know, Ministry X, Skywatch TV, 
I mean, I'm going along watching Ancient Apocalypse, which apparently is so controversial. And Graham Hancock is a smart guy. And he's aware of the biblical flood narrative. But he doesn't bother to back up a few verses in Genesis 6 to read about the Nephilim. He just dismisses these legends of giants and demigods, which is what gives motive to the flood narrative. Why? Well, it's controversial to question the official timeline of human civilization to suggest that ancient megalithic structures couldn't have been built by Stone Age human beings, but it's really controversial to suggest that giants once walked the earth, that human beings shared the planet at one time with hybrid creatures that had extraordinary powers and advanced technology, because that would seem to align with the biblical narrative. And, you know, so as science goes woke and these mental midgets populate the world of academia, they think they're defending indigenous cultures. You know, the white archaeologists who, you know, find a skeleton in North America that's 10,000 years old with DNA that links it back to the Middle East, well, that's racist, right? But when actual researchers go and question these elders, they're like, yeah, actually, we didn't build these mounds. We didn't build these temples. They were here when our people came to this land. You know, and their own legends talk about red-haired giants with six fingers and six toes who came from overseas and hunted and cannibalized their people. Well, that's absurd. So I guess it's woke to diminish the oral traditions of indigenous people. And then just inquisitive people, people who are on a quest for truth, journalists, podcasters, whoever, we're the ones who get accused of racism. I mean, what a joke. But nobody wants to rewrite all of human history. I get it. It's much easier to suppress truth and scientific inquiry. I love how the Bible is just there. It remains. I love how it's disregarded. It's constantly proven true over and over again, and yet it's just passed over by the high-minded. But back to the Collins elite, I'm going to read a passage from Final Events, which is a fascinating book, and I apologize for the hiatus between new episodes here, but part of the reason is I've been busy reading this book. Plus, I was sick, and we had a cold snap for about a week where it was just too freaking cold out here in the studio to record. I mean, I'm talking like two degrees. And then Christmas and New Year's. But here we are. It's 2023, and we're ready to dive into Christian conspiracies and the Bible and uh, all these topics that get people's undies in a twist. <laughs> Okay, so this is from the introduction, uh, page four. At this point in the meeting, the two scientists provided Boucher with disturbing evidence of not just the power of the NHEs, 
that's non-human entities, but also the way in which any and all NHE-related work ultimately turned out to be bad. Boucher elaborated, They showed me a dozen photos of three different people, four photos of each person, who had apparently been killed by these experiments. These were all post-mortem photographs taken in situ, that means in the original place, after the experiments. The areas shown in all the photographs were like a dentist's chair or a barber's chair, and the bodies were still in those positions, sitting in the chairs. Still there with EEG and EKG leads coming off of them. They were all wired. It was a very clinical setting, and there was no indication of who they were. It was a very disturbing sort of thing, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if these are real, who would they have gotten for these experiments? Were they volunteers? Were they some sort of prisoners? I have no idea. Were they American? Were they foreign? There was no way to tell. Boucher was, however, allowed to take notes pertaining to the controversial photographs. One of the victims was a white male, age 25 to 30, who had been killed by a, quote, remotely induced, unquote, cardiac arrest. The second was a white female, somewhere between the ages of 20 and 25, whose death was due to a, quote, remotely transmitted head trauma, unquote, that resulted in, quote, crushing of the right anterior portion of the skull, unquote. The third victim was a white male, probably in his 30s, killed by, quote, remotely controlled suffocation. The deaths and heart attacks were allowed to happen because it served the NHE goals, the deception that they were aliens trying to help us and give us this advanced technology, unquote. Thereafter, the meeting was terminated. Boucher did manage to engage his two contacts in conversation on other occasions, once more in person and also by both telephone and letter. The conversations always followed broadly similar ground, namely that the human race was being deceived into believing that it was receiving visitations from aliens when in reality demonic forces were secretly squaring up for Armageddon and the final countdown. And the DOD's overwhelmingly reckless dabbling into occult-driven areas to try and make a bizarre but futile pact of some sort with these same forces was inevitably and only designed to make things much, much worse for each and every one of us. Of course, the two key questions in this strange affair are, why was Ray Boucher specifically chosen by certain elements of the DOD? And was the story his sources supplied truthful, ingenious fakery, or a swirling mixture of the two? The impression was that it was to test the waters. That's what they told me. They had read some of my stuff, and they knew that I'd become a pastor 
and that I had a Christian viewpoint from which I could examine these things. And they were concerned morally and ethically that they had allowed themselves to be duped into doing this research, and it had taken such a turn. My concern was always that, why come to me? Who am I? I can't do anything for you. I'm happy to evaluate it as best I can, but if you have this concern, why not go to a Christian leader with a lot more clout and public visibility than I've got? But that was their reason. They were aware of the research I had done on a lot of things, that I could approach it from a Christian viewpoint, and that it was more of a moral dilemma for them. They wanted the information out there. But to me, I have to think, is any of this accurate? On one hand, is this a way to throw disinformation out? But on the other hand, I think that even if they wanted to just spread disinformation, they could have done it with someone a lot more influential than me. With respect to his own views, as well as those of the two DOD physicists, Boucher added, Quote, as a pastor and someone who's trained as a theologian, I can't come to any other conclusion than there is some sort of spiritual deception going on here. In so many of these kinds of alien contacts, the entities involved make a denial of Christianity. Anytime the spiritual issues are addressed, there is always some sort of denial of the validity of Christianity and the validity of the Bible. And I find it interesting that these percipients are told that Jesus was a great guy, but you just misunderstood him. They say, he wasn't really God's son, you just don't quite get it. But you never hear them say that about Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad. It always seems to come down to some sort of denial of Christianity. The percipients, whether you consider them contactees or abductees, are engaged by the NHEs in spiritual discussions, but it's always one-sided. I would have a lot less suspicion of the potential of the demonic nature of these things if they were to say, you guys are all screwed up, all of your spiritual leaders had some good ideas, but none of them really got it. It's a big mess. But it seems to be so specifically pointed at the Judeo-Christian tradition. It certainly seems to me like it's the two genuine forces squaring up against each other. This is a thorny thing to dissect because, as a Christian, I believe Scripture is explicit in its implications that there are definitely demonic influences at work in the world generally. These entities do want to deceive us. I'm hesitant to paint with too broad a brush and say that everything can be attributed to them. I think there are too many theologians, Christians, who want to see a demon behind every rock. But I think the demonic world is real. One of its principal goals is to deceive us. Does that negate the existence 
of some sort of extraterrestrial intelligence? I don't think so. I think, though, that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is too simple an explanation. Too many cases go so far beyond that. And that's Ray Boucher talking. Boucher concluded, a valid way to distract people is the two camps, the E.T. believers and the skeptics, while the real story is buried. The more distractions you can make, the easier it is to keep people from hitting on what's actually important. That's what's so confusing about the whole thing. I've been involved in this since 1965, and this is the most bizarre stuff I've ever run across. I didn't know what to make of it then, and I don't know what to make of it now. See, that's the thing. The best deceptions always contain an element of truth, as with the QAnon PSYOP. It's the same thing. Are there pedophile rings? Are there rich and powerful people within our government um, that are, you know, using this, these blackmail schemes and stuff to gain power and influence, to control people, to control narratives? Yeah, that does go on. So the most effective PSYOP campaigns... Uh, I mean, you could just talk about the the, the craziest off-the-wall thing. People aren't going to believe it. But if there's some sort of intriguing element of truth to it, then that's what sucks people in. And I think that's the point that Ray Boucher is trying to make here. So everybody always asks, the Collins elite, what does that mean? Where do they get their name from? Well, apparently... The name comes from a small town in New York, Collins, New York. And one of these individuals was from Collins, New York, which is basically a nothing town. There's nothing there. And so they would joke around amongst each other that, you know, they were the elite of Collins. Collins elite. But this is not an official group within the government. It's an informal group of individuals. So this isn't like the CIA or the DOD or the NSA. This isn't an official agency, although they did receive funding through these black projects. And what they were charged with looking into started with Jack Parsons and Jet Propulsion Laboratories, and Aleister Crowley. Uh, There's no question that our government was interested in what these people were up to. And if you've exposed yourself to any of this fringe Christian talk, for years now, you know, we've been talking about Jack Parsons, Aleister Crowley, L. Ron Hubbard, the Babylon working... Well, the government was interested in it, too. They were very much interested in the connection between what these guys were doing in the desert, this ritual magic, and contact with alien intelligences, 
off-world entities, what they referred to as non-human intelligences or non-human entities, and the subsequent events of Roswell, New Mexico, and they suspected that there was a causal link between these magical workings and the resulting UFO flaps that occurred shortly thereafter. And as far as the modern manifestation of UFO phenomenon and sightings and abductions, much of it started in 1947 after the Babylon workings were conducted by Parsons and Hubbard. The FBI had files on Parsons, um, actually... Jack Parsons, before his death, was being investigated as a spy for Israel. And he had stolen some documentation from Hughes Aircraft Company that he was working for at the time. Now, another person who was talking about this subject matter prior to Nick Redfern was Tom Horn. And we know Tom Horn from Skywatch TV. And uh, he had written a book, Nephilim, Stargates, and the Return of the Watchers. And he had done a series of shows for Gary Stearman's Prophecy in the News broadcast. And they would talk about portals and doorways um, and... They talked about Aleister Crowley, Jack Parsons, and Church of Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard. And here's an excerpt from that material. As is referenced in Chapter 2, in 1918, famed occultist Aleister Crowley attempted to create a dimensional vortex that would bridge the gap between the world of the seen and the unseen. The ritual was called the Amalantra working, and according to Crowley, became successful when a presence manifested itself through the rift. He called the being Lamb and drew a portrait of it. The startling image, detailed almost 90 years ago, bears powerful similarity with alien greys of later pop culture. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons attempted to do this very thing by inviting the spirit of Babylon through a portal during a sex ritual. Their hope was to incarnate the whore of Babylon, a demon child or giborim. Parsons wrote that the ritual was successful and that at one point a brownish-yellow light came through the doorway. At the same moment, he said he was struck by something invisible and a candle was knocked out of his hand. It is interesting that following Crowley's magic portal, which produced the alien-looking lamb, and Hubbard and Parsons' Babylon-working ritual, Crowley died in 1947, the same year as the Roswell crash, and the same year Kenneth Arnold, a friend of Parsons, saw his flying saucers and sightings of aliens increased around the world was a portal indeed opened by these men's invitations. 
Our church was very interested in the idea that men heavily involved in the occult, with a strange UFO alien twist, and covertly connected with segments of this government's aerospace endeavors, might actually have opened a portal allowing the increase into our world of powerful demonic influences. So that sounds a lot like the story that Nick Redfern puts forth in Final Events. So now Tom Horn becomes suspicious that the story that's detailed in Final Events by Redfern is this fabricated um, elaboration of some of this material that, that Tom Horn was talking about with Gary Stearman and Church. And Tom Horn reaches out to some of his contacts in the U.S. government and in the military. And uh, he also interviews Nick Redfern. So basically, Tom Horn is suspicious that someone has taken some of this information and then spun it into this full-fledged conspiracy about the Collins elite. And he reaches out to Nick Pope, who worked for Britain's Military of Defense Department uh, for UFO research. And I'll just read this. This is from a Skywatch TV article. I was surprised when he cautioned against disbelief and even confirmed the existence of a Collins elite-like group among Britain's aristocracy. Following this, I reached out to a Ball Aerospace contact who works with advanced systems and technologies for space control and special missions. He too cautioned against doubting the Collins reality and sent me a four-page document outlining the following main points, ending with an ominous warning. Below are just some of the talking points from his meticulous outline. So I'm going to go through this outline. Security levels and compartments. Start with the understanding that a top-secret DOD, Department of Defense, or SCI, Sensitive Compartmented Information, Clearance is the first level of clearance required before one gets to SAP programs. That's special access programs. There are at least four levels of top secret TS special access programs, SAPs, that currently exist in the U.S. DOD slash Intel world. Acknowledged top secret SAPs, security cleared, Congress or staff, has access to full knowledge of program name, mission, budget, etc. Unacknowledged top-secret SAPs, cleared Congress or staff has access to full knowledge, and unacknowledged-slash-waived top-secret SAPs. Program, budget, customer, and mission are all highly classified, Only two senators and two congressmen are made aware of the program, typically at very high level only, typically referred to as black programs. Completely unacknowledged top secret SAPs. No acknowledgement or overview to Congress. 
accountable only to the agency that authorizes mission and money ostensibly related to a presidential order. Really known as, quote, deep black, unquote, in the vernacular. This level is itself not acknowledged and can't be acknowledged for obvious reasons. Two agencies in particular make great use of this, the CIA and the NSA. With more than 25 years in this world, I personally have experience with levels 1 through 3 only. Level 4 is outside my scope. Most of the high-level UFO work is done at level 4. It is not acknowledged and specifically not even known except to those briefed in the compartment slash program. Only leaks aid in the process of discovery. This is likely a strong reason why Nick Pope is reluctant to spell out unambiguously what by definition is meant to be concealed at an unacknowledged level. Formation of the Collins Elite A number of intelligence agencies looking at the UFO situation are drawn into the orbit of a larger picture held by the CIA. Army Intel, Navy Intel, Air Force Intel, Defense Intel Agency, DIA, etc., This seems consistent with how high-level exchange takes place. They contribute to larger efforts out of their own agencies and budgets. A subgroup of this CIA-dominated and controlled compartment informally sees things differently and begins to form a counterpoint voice to the research. They call themselves, after a time, the, quote, Collins elite. This seems plausible based on the discussions and factions I have seen over the years. Independent thinking is valued. Like-minded experts gather around themselves. Over time, the Collins elite position becomes more refined, more emphatic, more concerned. One notes that most of these guys are industry old-timers with an old Christian worldview having been in this covert intel circle for 30 to 40 years. The Collins elite seems to be an internal but informal collection of guys who maintain their independence of thought about matters in this highly classified and clearly controversial realm. Review S. Intelligence agencies are trying to understand UFOs in the early 1950s. Same intelligence agencies also trying to understand the occult sorcery of two key figures, Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons, and how it could be applied as a national defense asset. Deeply covert CIA-controlled intel group wants to pursue research on psychotronic weapons and remote viewing technologies and embarks on a deluding journey, a perverted scheme, and Faustian bargaining. After years and decades of incremental research in this arena, several deaths more recently occur to test subjects in these realms, things are going badly awry. A subgroup watching all this, loosely confederated, calling itself the Collins Elite, begins to recognize this as completely occult, demonic-slash-satanic, and begins to organize itself as a counterpoint to the general research direction. The Collins elite begins to see a much larger and terrifying picture of what this whole unleashed enterprise is leading to, the connection to fallen angels, 
the Nephilim, and a plan for taking over the world. Conclusion This unsettling story has every indication of being true. It follows directly from everything you and I know about UFOs and their ultimately nefarious mission tied to an end-time prophetic scenario. Unraveling this further is loaded with known and unknown complexities, and that includes dangers. So this comes from Tom Horn's friend at Ball Aerospace. Basically providing an outline saying this seems likely how this group would form and their level of security clearance and how they would have to operate within the halls of the government and military. In other words, it would necessitate that they be an informal group, not a specifically named agency. And that's why there's so much mystery surrounding this Collins elite group. Now, we talked about the government's interest in Jack Parsons and Aleister Crowley. Jack Parsons was a brilliant rocket engineer. Um, He basically was the person who allowed NASA to go to the moon with the Apollo missions and the rocket boosters that they used for the space shuttle throughout the 70s and the 80s. And the 90s uh, was all based on the technology that he designed. Uh, But they were also interested in his eclectic lifestyle and the sort of bizarre social gatherings that he would have at his home in Pasadena and his association with the famous occultist Aleister Crowley. And they very much believed that there was a connection between what they were doing with these magical rituals and the increase in UFO phenomenon and everything that came afterwards. But the government's interested in it because they want to find a way to weaponize it. They want to find a way to use it for espionage and counterintelligence. And we know that the government researched remote viewing and psychic powers, telekinesis, all of these things were going on. Uh, But when they started to realize that, you know, maybe Parsons and Crowley were actually contacting these non-human intelligences like Lamb... that they needed to find a way to contact them as well, establish contact in order to form a partnership where they could exchange knowledge and technology that would give them an advantage over their military adversaries. And at the time, this was primarily the Soviet Union. So we start to see why there's this huge relationship, it seems, between the UFOs and the space race and the Cold War this period of time in history.
and all the famous UFO flaps, UFOs seen over Washington, D.C., UFOs crashing in the desert in Roswell, UFOs seen over Mount Rainier in Washington. And then it turns out that Kenneth Arnold knew Jack Parsons. They were flying buddies in the Air Force. Something else is going on here, and it's still going on today. Uh, But it makes me wonder, because if this was all just disinformation being put out there, that Ray Boucher was just contacted by a couple of people who probably worked for the CIA, just to get the information out there that, hey, this is probably demonic... This is a narrative that is still in the realm of the fringe Christian uh, viewpoint. This is not a widely accepted theory. You know, of course, I talk about it. Other people in the fringe Christian community talk about the demonic connection to the UFO and especially the alien contactee phenomenon, the alien abduction phenomenon. And uh, not only that, but the Collins elite were part of this afterlife research as well. And there seems to be a connection that we see emerging with the aliens. I'm just going to say aliens and UFOs and death and the afterlife. This is something that Joshua Cutchin has gotten into recently. Uh, with his book, uh, The Ecology of Souls, that there's some kind of connection with UFOs and the afterlife. And if we think of death and the afterlife as, you know, passing into another dimension of existence, then we start to see the interdimensional relationship between UFOs, sightings, alien abductions, and the other realms, and as it turns out, the realm of the dead, passing over into the realm of the dead. And so it seems we're dealing with a phenomenon or group of phenomenon that are closely tied to human states of consciousness, altered states of consciousness. Because many times UFOs are observed or alien beings are observed during altered states of consciousness, whether it's a half-sleep state or a trance state. Um, You know, and then also part of this too, which makes it even more confusing, is a lot of UFO sightings are probably just, you know, experimental aircraft, drones, that sort of thing which makes all this the more murky and uh, because people will say, no, I saw it. It was right over my house. It was, you know, flashing. It had lights on it. Uh, It was silent. It zipped away at a phenomenal rate of speed. This was a physical thing. I wasn't in an altered state. I wasn't, uh, it wasn't a mental thing that I was going through. I really saw what I saw. You know, I really saw these little people come out of the spaceship. 
So it's very complicated, and it's complicated for a reason, because there is a lot of disinformation out there, but we're starting to see a picture. A picture is starting to form. For those of us who are really interested in seeking the truth, so the second half of the 20th century is dominated by this rediscovery of this ancient reality, because the Nazis were traveling to Tibet and talking to the spiritual lamas, trying to discover their connection to this primordial race of supermen. So the military, the government's not only studying UFOs and UFO technology and alien intelligence, they're also studying psychic phenomenon, out-of-body experiences, uh, near-death experiences, okay, life after death, okay, this realm of the dead and crossing over. So that's how we intersect with the world of the occult. Occult meaning hidden knowledge, knowledge that was rediscovered. The Nazis had a technological advantage because they had rediscovered this technology, this connection to the ancient mystery religions. And these are German, you know, the the Golden Dawn. These are German ritual magic fraternities, brotherhoods. And that's what these secret societies were all about, about obscuring and preserving this secret ancient knowledge. The knowledge of the pyramids, the knowledge of the ley lines, the knowledge of geomancy and harnessing the Earth's power. And uh, so after World War II... The United States, the Soviet Union were both very interested in getting their hands on these German scientists and wrestling them into their corner. And and through Project Paperclip, a lot of those scientists came to the United States and were put into NASA, were put into our university systems. Uh And the Soviet Union got some of these Nazis as well. And this basically sets up the Cold War and the space race. This is secretly what's going on, is they're trying to crack the code to this type of technology. And so you start to see more UFO sightings, more triangle, flying triangles, and these sorts of things. Okay, psionic warfare, remote viewing, all this stuff starts exploding. All these, you know, psychological experiments done on prisoners and and people in the military being, you know, involuntarily subjected to these sorts of experimentations. This is what's going on, and I believe it's still going on. Still going on. Except now you've got big tech... And quantum computing getting in on the action. And a lot of these big tech executives, these brilliant people, 
they recreationally, you know, microdose to get these new ideas. They're actually making contact with some sort of entity through these other dimensional portals that are being opened up. Even if it's just sort of a portal of perception in your mind, nonetheless, they're making contact with these entities. And I don't believe the entities have the best interests of human society in mind. So this is very dangerous. The question really is, is there anybody remaining in the government or, you know, at some of these big tech companies that are a little skeptical of this kind of contact and these technologies that are being developed? I mean, they admit the quantum computer, the black box, they don't know how the algorithm gets the answer that it gets. They don't know. It just spits it out, but they don't know how it does it, where it gets the information from. We're really on the precipice, honestly. I think it's a trap. We're going to get in too deep, and then they're going to flip the switch. And they're going to have the ability to, if they don't already, manipulate the portals from the other side. And then they're going to start coming through at will. I think it's been on the increase ever since 1947. And it's still going on. I See, this is what happens. I start going off on a tangent. And then my mind starts going so fast that I can't, I can't even keep up with my own thoughts. So sorry for rambling. Let me try and focus this back down. We were talking about the Collins elite. Is there anyone still in the government associated with this group? Is there anyone in there uh, with a skeptical mind, uh, with a Christian worldview that understands this relationship with the demonic realm, who understands the nature of the fallen angels and the fact that they don't have uh, the best interests of humanity in mind. If they can get something out of us, then they'll gladly take it. They'll gladly work with us to further their interests. And according to Nick Redfern and those in the Collins elite, their interest is setting up the final countdown towards Armageddon. And they're looking for recruits. You want to be in on the Battle of Armageddon? uh, Because we're getting closer and closer to that time frame. Well, this could be what they're preparing for. It's kind of foolish. I mean, trying to develop all this technology uh, and raise this satanic army, okay? We know about that from Russ Dizdar. There's going to be this satanic army of super soldiers. That's going to be the human element, the foot soldiers, And then there's going to be this quantum technology, and they're going to use this to resist the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now imagine that. 
they have to know at some level that this is going to be a suicide mission. But humans aren't so intelligent. I can see human beings getting wrapped up in this uh, only to meet their demise. That's why I say, beware the alien savior. There's an alien connection to Armageddon. There's an alien connection to the second coming. I don't know all the details. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but I suspect the way things are going, this is how it's going to play out. So, yeah, these are the things that keep me up at night. And I'm talking to you here on the Fringe Radio Network because there's not a lot of avenues to talk about this information and and these concerns that we have as Christians. You know, I don't think Tucker Carlson, even though he's been willing to talk about UFOs and all this, he's not going to have somebody like me on or like Tom Horn on to talk about how this is all demonic. And that's not to say aliens are demons like this one-to-one relationship. It's more complex than that. Anyhow, I think I've rambled on about this for long enough. Let's take a break and... We'll get to some news on the other side. You've been listening to Ministry X on Fringe Radio Network.
FBI conducts no-knock warrant at home of owner of website devoted to Area 51. Yes, you heard that right. It is popping off, folks. It is going down. Now, this is from back in November, so this story is actually a little old, but this is from Zero Hedge. A series of tweets from Las Vegas-based KLAS-TV's George Knapp revealed FBI agents raided the home of the owner of a popular UFO website dedicated to all things Area 51. Now, you remember the Storm Area 51 debacle uh, Facebook event thing? that sort of went viral. That was back in July 2019. Knapp tweeted Thursday night that Jorg Arnew, and I've been to this guy's website. It's actually a very informative website, and that might have something to do with why his home was raided. George Arnu, owner of the website Dreamland Resort Area 51, was raided by the FBI in a, quote, no-knock warrant, unquote, at his home in Rachel, Nevada. Quote, FBI agents came down hard on the operator of a popular website devoted to all things Area 51, its programs, lore, and legacy. More than a dozen agents served a no-knock warrant on the Rachel Nevada home of Jorg Arnew, owner of dreamlandresort.com. That's what George Knapp tweeted out. Knapp said in a second tweet that all computers, files, phones, photos were seized while another team of FBI agents stormed his other home in Las Vegas. The agents seized all digital devices and files held his girlfriend at gunpoint. Wow. So what did this guy stumble upon? What information did he have? Quote, the warrants were served one week ago, Arnu noted on his site that he does not know the reason for the raid or whether specific images of the secret base posted online may have initiated such a vigorous action by federal law enforcement, Knapp continued. On Dreamland Resort Area 51's website, the first sentence reads, Monitoring Area 51 since 1999. Take an inside look at Area 51, a.k.a. Dreamland, the world's most famous secret airbase. And it shows an image of the homepage. The mystery remains why a no-knock warrant was served at Knapp's residences with FBI agents, guns drawn. So they raided George Knapp and the owner of this website, George Arnu. Are they saying George Knapp is George Arnu? No, 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 no. We must point out that the raid comes several weeks before the U.S. Air Force unveils its advanced new B-21 Raider stealth bomber on December 2nd. Here's what people are saying in response to Knapp's reporting. Kurt M. says, 
Lo and behold, FBI will find child porn on his computer. Seems like that happens every time they want to get rid of a problem. Odd how that always happens to people they don't like. Pete Vankman said, must have captured something classified. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He came across some information that he wasn't supposed to have. Or he's just connecting too many dots. Um, but I I believe his website is pretty much documenting stuff that's well known. The photographs are fairly common. And really, he doesn't go too hard in the paint with the whole alien technology there. It says in the FAQs that there's no real substantial evidence of any kind of alien technology going on at Area 51. Anyways, so we don't know. Let's move on to our next story. Key takeaways from the COP27, COP27, Climate Summit in Egypt. This is from Reuters. This year's UN Climate Summit featured visits by world leaders, proposals by business leaders, and negotiations by nearly 200 nations about the future on global action on climate change. Here are some of the key takeaways from the two-week COP27 summit held in the Egyptian resort of Sharm el-Sheikh. Fund for Climate Justice. After years of resistance from rich governments, nations for the first time agreed to set up a fund to provide payouts to developing countries that suffer, quote, loss and damage from climate-driven storms, floods, droughts, and wildfires. Hmm. Despite being the standout success of the talks, it will likely take several years to hammer out the details over how the fund will be run, including how the money will be dispersed and which countries are likely to be eligible. Fossil fuel flow. The final COP27 deal drew criticism from some quarters for not doing more to rein in climate-damaging emissions, both by setting more ambitious national targets and by scaling back use of fossil fuels, such as coal, oil, and natural gas. While the deal text called for efforts to phase down use of unabated coal power and phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies, some countries had pushed to phase out, or at least phase down, all fossil fuels. But from the opening speeches to the gaveling of the final deal, the use of fossil fuels was affirmed for the near future. President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nahan of the United Arab Emirates host of next year's COP28 climate summit, said his country would continue to deliver oil and gas for as long as the world is in need. Oil company CEOs were on hand at this year's summit after having been pushed to the margins at COP26. 
Natural gas chiefs were billing themselves as climate champions, despite gas companies having faced lawsuits in the United States over such claims. Nevertheless, some electricity-poor nations in Africa argued for their right to develop their natural gas reserves, even as they face increasing climate impacts such as drought. And fossil fuel phase-out clubs launched around last year's summit in Glasgow were struggling to recruit new members amid this year's energy crisis caused by the Ukraine war. Brazil is back! Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva was greeted by roaring crowds as he declared Brazil is back in the global climate fight and vowed to host COP30 in 2025 in the Amazon region. (laughs) The leftist leader made the Egypt Climate Summit his first visit abroad since winning Brazil's presidential election last month against right-wing president Jair Bolsonaro. Yeah, nothing suspicious going on there. Who presided over mounting destruction of the rainforest and refused to hold the 2019 climate summit originally planned for Brazil. On Monday, Brazil also joined Indonesia and the Democratic Republic of Congo in launching a partnership to cooperate on forest preservation. The trilateral alliance was negotiated over a decade of on-off talks that continued even as the country's national forest policies and leaderships changed. They are expected to press rich nations to pay for forest preservation. So there's a little bit more to this article. I'm not going to read the whole article. Uh, Just go to Reuters. Uh, But it does talk about uh, China and the U.S. trying to restore this relationship when it comes to Climate justice and, you know, Taiwan, eh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. We got to get together on this climate action and uh, talks about basically how there's not a lot of private finance going towards this. Uh, It's like the elite secretly know that the climate uh, alarmism is just like this big hustle. Uh The other thing that came out of this uh, climate summit was this whole climate repentance thing. And you can look at it if you go to climaterepentance.com. And this is where it really gets bonkers. Climate repentance, 10 spiritual principles and repentance ceremony. Between November 6th and 18th, 2022, the UN Climate Conference, COP27, took place on the Sinai Peninsula In Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, religious communities and religious leaders have a key role to play in addressing climate change and climate justice, which requires deep transformation within society. The knowledge of what changes are critically needed to diminish long-term harm to the planet is readily available. However, bringing about a change in action demands deeper changes in attitude a change of heart. This has been the domain of religions for millennia. Religions are sources of inspiration for the transformation of heart and the ensuing changes of attitude. To support, challenge, and inspire discussions during the COP27 
at Sharm El Sheikh Elijah in collaboration with the Peace Department and Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development, will be holding a meeting of the Elijah Board of World Religious Leaders, the 10th in number, and releasing messaging, resources, and content that seek to complement practical conversations at the COP with a spiritual interreligious vision drawing our inspiration from Mount Sinai and using Mount Sinai as anchor for the present initiative. Elijah leaders will release the fruit of the consultation of Elijah leaders. What? Echoing the notion of the Ten Commandments given at Sinai, Elijah leaders have formulated ten principles for climate repentance, Oh, let me click on that. That's what I wanted to read. Yes. Ah, the Elijah Board of World Religious Leaders. Listen to this gobbledygook. This is just a whole thing they've created here. Whole climate religion, you might say. These are the principles. Number one, God and the world, the nature of being. Creation is not our possession. The human person must recognize this and find his or her rightful place in relation to this fundamental fact. For some of us, this leads to a sense of gratitude for God's gifts and for the gift of life itself, wherein humanity takes its rightful place as partner and co-creator in advancing the life of all creation. For others, creation itself is sacred. Therefore, we recognize human responsibility to love and protect nature. Number two, creation is not simply external to God. It is, in significant ways, permeated by God's presence and being manifesting the divine agency and reality. Such understandings are found in all traditions. Whether as the universal view or as one voice among others, alternatively, nature is permeated by the spiritual, manifesting ultimate reality in every particle. Therefore, we must treat all of life with reverence. God and the creation are the same thing. That's what they're saying there. Within creation and between humans and other parts of creation, as well as among religious communities, there is interdependence. All are part of a greater whole wherein each element both receives and gives influence impact, love, and growth. Therefore, we must care for each other and the planet. Humanity and its responsibilities. This is number four. The distinctive task of humanity is to nurture and serve this interdependent life-giving and so to resist the temptation to exploitation, waste, and harm. 
acting in the interest of human well-being cannot be something pursued in separation from working for the well-being of the whole created order. This finds two prominent expressions. A. Commitment to not harm creation and the responsibility to protect it. And B. Commitment to serve, advance, and aid in the growth and evolution of all parts of creation. Therefore, we recognize that we are responsible for the well-being of all life today, as well as for future generations. Yeah, this is a far cry from the Ten Commandments. Uh, so, yeah, there was some sort of chant or prayer or something, the climate repentance pledge or something. I, I don't know. I can't find it anymore, but it was. All right, let's do one more story and then we're out of here. What is that? Oh, is this it? is happening beloved brothers and sisters please accept the sikh greetings waheguru ji ka khalsa oh my god the okay this is going to have to be our last story maybe you heard about this giant laser from star trek to be tested in fusion breakthrough I'm reading this from Bloomberg. An initial fusion success is starting the path toward what scientists hope will someday be a new carbon-free power source. The breakthrough came in an impossibly small slice of time, less than it takes a beam of light to move an inch. In that tiny moment, nuclear fusion as an energy source went from faraway dream to reality. The world is now grappling with the implications of the historic milestone. For Arthur Pack and the countless other scientists who've spent decades getting to this point, the work is just beginning. Pack and his colleagues at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory are now faced with a daunting task. Do it again, but better and bigger. That means perfecting the use of the world's largest laser housed in the lab's National Ignition Facility that science fiction fans will recognize from the film Star Trek Into Darkness, when it was used as a set for the warp core of the Starship Enterprise. Oh, didn't know that. Just after 1 a.m. on December 5th, the laser shot 192 beams in three carefully modulated pulses at a cylinder containing a tiny diamond capsule filled with hydrogen in an attempt to spark the first fusion reaction that produced more energy than it took to create. It succeeded, starting the path toward what scientists hope will someday be a new carbon-free power source that will allow humans to harness the same source of energy that lights the stars. 
Pack, who joined the Lawrence Livermore Lab outside San Francisco in 2010, woke at 3 a.m. that day, unable to resist checking the initial results from his San Jose home. He tried staying awake for the shot itself, finally giving up as the experiment's painstaking preparations dragged late into the night. If you stayed up for every shot, every time for 10 years, you'd go insane, he said. For the last several months, it was clear his team was getting close, and in the pre-dawn dark, he checked for a key number that could show whether they'd succeeded, a count of neutrons the blast produced. Quote, when I saw that number, I was blown away, he said. You can work your whole career and never see this moment. You're doing it because you believe in the destination and you like the challenge, said Pack, leader for diagnostics on the experiment. When humans come together and work collectively, we can do amazing things. Unquote. Well, isn't that the truth? We know that from Genesis 11. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Genesis 11, 4 through 6. And that's where we're going to land it for this edition of Ministry X. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, shoot me an email. Ministry X at ProtonMail.com Ministry X at ProtonMail.com And don't forget to check out MinistryXPodcast.com You can also find me on MeWeGab Ministry X Telestream on Telegram And until next time, remember Beware the Alien Savior
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.